New Life students, I am so glad this is the last time I have to preach to a camera because we're gonna get to gather again really soon. So in the meantime though, grab your Bibles, gather with some friends, listen to the podcast, whatever you guys do to consume this podcast. Um, and we're gonna be in John chapter eight. So go ahead and turn to John chapter eight. And I'm gonna read it and then we'll pray. So John chapter eight, verses 48 to 59. The Jews answered him, are we, not in saying, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and you have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and, this is the and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, they'll never die. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died? Who are you to make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do not know him, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would illuminate your word. You would incline our hearts to your testimonies. You'd open our eyes to behold beautiful things out of your law. You would unite our hearts to fear your name. And you would satisfy us with good and perfect things that come only from your hand. Jesus, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to actually hear so that our hearts can obey and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this passage may seem pretty insignificant sometimes to us, even though... Um, we see, oh, I think maybe Jesus is claiming here to be God, or is he claiming to be God? Some people in other religions would say that, no, Jesus isn't claiming to be God. He's just using metaphors, etc. But I want to take you back to the mindset of the first century Jews who had a much bigger view of Yahweh than we do today in American culture. We, too often in American culture, have a very small view of God, and therefore Jesus being God would make perfect sense because we can just associate him with a man. He's controllable, he's containable, he's just a man. But the Jews, when they heard of God, they heard Yahweh, they saw someone so much bigger. They saw someone who split an entire sea to lead them out. They saw someone who led them out of Egypt with plagues and controlled wind and water and nature. And so let me just quickly demonstrate that. So something like, when he was leading them through the wilderness, he led them by night with a pillar of fire. Now, I know this is nowhere close to the pillar of fire that they had, but I just wanted to say like, God control, imagine just a huge 40 foot pillar of fire leading you, just moving around like, okay, I would be pretty amazed at that God. Or perhaps maybe the cloud of smoke by day. This one is my favorite. Don't grab dry ice with your bare hand at home. But imagine just like normal clouds, yeah, they're, they're great to look at, but imagine a cloud appearing and actually like following, you following this cloud. And 
Like, just how cool is that? Where God can be totally present with us, and yet sometimes he's invisible. He's the invisible God that Jesus makes visible. So, these little illustrations are just a really, really simple thing, but I want to... I want us to understand that our view of God in today's American culture is so small. So those little things are just like a very small window into how big God was in the first century. So when Jesus was claiming to be God, remember in Exodus it says, when Moses asked, who are you? What is your name? And and Yahweh said, I am who I am. I am the existing one. That's what Jesus is saying here. It's ego emi in the Greek. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He was making a statement that he is God. But are these claims founded? Well, let's go ahead and look at how this, Jesus saying that he's God, is actually true. In Isaiah 48, we're going to flip there. Isaiah 48, verses 9 through 11, it says this. This is Yahweh speaking. For not my name's sake, I will defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I will strain it, restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? Here it is. My glory I will not give to another. This verse is characteristic of who Yahweh is. He is the complete and sovereign God. In the Ten Commandments, he talks about, you will have no other gods before me. That's not just a rule for us. That's a rule that God in his own nature has to obey. Because if he loves anything more than himself, then he's not God and he's placing someone else above him. And now sometimes we think, like, well, that's kind of conceited that you have to love yourself. But think about it like this. If we have the greatest good... And God is the greatest good, and he's telling us to love him above all else. And yet he doesn't love himself. He's not loving the greatest good, and therefore he's making himself less than the greatest good. So when Jesus says, back in John chapter 8, when he says this, this is what is more powerful than even him saying, before Abraham was, I am. He says this, Yet I do not seek my glory, but there is one who seeks it. One is capitalized, and scholars unanimously agree that one is the Father. So if God seeks his glory, and not just like glory of the championship, state football championship, but glory as in worship, this glory is what God seeks. So if God is seeking Jesus' glory, and he's not allowed to break the Ten Commandments by nature of having a God before him, who does that make Jesus? makes him God. And again, we move on, it says this. If I glorify myself, I have nothing. Just like if if I were to come and claim to be God, it would come to nil. But it is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. So he's saying three times in just these few verses, I am who I am. He's God. So yes, we can just pause there and get a little theological lesson out of this passage. But I think I want to move past this and see what God is saying about himself and how confident Jesus is in the Father. And here's what I mean by that. First one, we can see that God will get his glory and it doesn't have to be up to us. 
C.S. Lewis said, a man can no more diminish the glory of God than a lunatic can put out the sun by writing darkness on the inside of his cell. So when we see things happening in the world that we feel like God is out of control or we have to maybe apologize for God or we have to make an excuse for why God didn't heal as if he's somehow not God anymore, we've missed the idea of who God is. We've missed what Jesus sees the Father as. He will get his glory. He will. He says, I will not give my glory to another. Number two, we can see that God will get his glory in sustaining us. He says, Jesus says, my father seeks my glory. And in Romans, it talks about those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Those whom he predestined, he also glorified. So glorified is like our final state, of being in heaven, of being perfected, of being in God's presence. No, not glory like Jesus has, but similar. And so think about it like this. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says this. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is whole toward him. A heart who has been received in Jesus and been made new now is a part of God's glory. And just because we are in God's glory means that he will never forsake us or leave us. God can't give up on his own name, lest he give up on being God. And if we bear his name, he cannot give up on us either. And in Isaiah 41.10, it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, I am your God. I will help you, I will strengthen you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do you see that language? I will help you, maybe from afar. I'll strengthen you, maybe closer, and then I'll hold you. So even when we feel like our salvation is waning, God's arms have not grown weak, but he's strong, and he's there. So thirdly, we can rest in God's pursuing of his own glory in us. What does that mean? Well, our generation is such a tired generation. We're constantly trying to impress people. We're constantly trying to be the best at things. We're trying to get um, social media famous or YouTube famous or whatever. We're trying to get our big break, and it's exhausting. And you'll see that in the amount of depression and sleep pills that are being prescribed all throughout the nation. Because our generation doesn't know how to rest in God's presence. Even the church, sometimes we feel like, I have to do everything. And if I don't do it, no one will. There is a sense of urgency there that shouldn't be lost. We shouldn't be growing complacent. But we should not take to the point where we get so caught up in our doing that we miss that God is completely done. There's three it is statements in the Bible. It is good in creation. It is finished, where our battle with sin is finished. But then at the end in Revelation, it says it is done. We see the entire story and God has already completed it. It is done. Not because we're good, not because we're great preachers or evangelists or disciples, but because God is sovereign. So let me read to you um, from a book called The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan, this beautiful passage about what it means to actually trust in God's sovereignty and his goodness, just like Jesus saw in John chapter 8. He's talking about the sovereignty of God, and he says, So sleep, besides being a necessity, it's also an act of faith. O Lord, how many are my foes, David said. How many rise up against me? And then in 3 verse 5, he continues, but I will lie down and sleep, and I will wake again, 
because the Lord sustains me. Or the next psalm, I will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. Notice how it's not, I will lie down and sleep because I've done everything perfect today. Or because I know that I'll sustain myself tomorrow. No, it's because the Lord. Let's keep going. Every time we sleep, we place ourselves again in a position of vulnerability, of defenselessness, of dependency. We enter again in this infant-like unguardedness. And we do this well only under two conditions. One, when our bodies force us in utter exhaustion, where we can't help ourselves. Or two, complete confidence, where we stop trying to help ourselves. Then we sleep because we know from where our help comes from. We sleep because we know in whom we have believed and we are confident that he is able to keep that which he has entrusted to him. Notice how Jesus says, I don't seek my own glory, but my Father seeks it. Just like Jesus is seeking our own sanctification into glorification. Sanctification is like the process of being made holy. Glorification is the completed process. Let's keep reading. We give ourselves, regardless of our unfinished business, into God's care. We sleep, we sleep simply because we believe God will look after us. It's, that same, it's the same with Sabbath rest, real Sabbath, the kind that empties and fills us. Depends on the second condition, on complete confidence and trust. And confidence and trust is like, like that are rooted in a deep conviction that God is good and that God is sovereign. There's no rest for us who don't believe that. If God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called to his purposes, we can relax. If he doesn't, start worrying. If God takes any mess, any mishap, any wastage, any wreckage, and any anything, and choreographs a beautiful meaning from it, then we can take a day off. But if he can't, get busy. Either God's always at work watching the city, building the house, or you need to try harder. Either God is good and in control, or it all depends on you. Our generation, it's the second part of that sentence, depends on me, depends on me. Even our generation of the church depends on me. But if we see that God is good and he's sovereign and he's the same God that led the Israelites in the wilderness by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, we can see that where he is, so we want to be because he has it under control. Jesus says, I am who I am in this passage. What he's saying is, do you see the invisible God in my face? Look at me and I'll show you who God is. So now we're going to take a time of worship response. Just pause and sing along with this song and know that your God is good and sovereign. God bless.